0: shot by a hunter who just took her hat for a bird. All right, I'm sorry, Jay. are a very serious person. i you let you yeah. Uh You know, uh, speaking of serious uh, problems, and we must clear up a few of them tonight, uh, one of them is that uh, the world is full of a number of phonies, uh, of various types. They come in various uh, sizes, shapes, colors, persuasions, and uh, and I think one of the most interesting phonies, and I think all of us have run into this uh, uh, practically daily or at least once a month. How often do you get a letter marked uh, you know, it comes usually typewritten, and it says do not break the chain. The following men got $20,000 because they kept the chain. General Curtis LeMay <laughs> Add your name to the bottom of the list and send the send the letter on. Do you know anybody who has ever added his name to the bottom of the list and send it on? I have never known anyone. I get one of these every couple of days, and it says uh you will be dogged by bad luck all of your life if you break the chain well maybe uh, that's the problem. I wonder if Nixon might have broken the chain Did't send one of those letters you know daddy <laughs> it's all at <hit> the fan. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's just a theory. I, I, uh, I, I've never sent one of these letters in, but uh, here's here's one that I'm sure that you haven't gotten, but this is the kind of stuff that people in showbiz get constantly. It's a certain type of phony that is related to the autograph hound. Uh, here's a letter that I got from Arvida, Colorado. I presume there is such a place. It's a very official-looking letter. It's got stationery, letterhead, and all that. It says... Arvada, Colorado. And it says, and I quote Dear Miss Shepard, I have been a fan of yours for years, and I am collecting autographs. And I was wondering if you might send me an autograph photograph of yourself. It would be added to such autograph photographs as Carl Sandberg, Ignace Jean Paderewski, and Miss Helen Keller best of luck miss Shepard throughout the coming years to you and your program thanking you for your assistance I remain uh, one of your oldest fans I presume he's talking about miss Carl Sandberg uh, uh, who' was a famous suffragette uh, <laughs> now 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 you just figure out what the, what the meaning of this is you see this is a uh, that, like, uh, Speaking of a great, great phony, that reminds me of a letter I one time got to talk about terrible phony problems that developed. Uh, I got a letter written here not too long ago, and it said, I was in New York just for a couple of days, Miss Shepard, and I was sitting in my hotel room and I was listening to your show. You know, you do one of the best women's shows on the air. And, uh, Miss, uh, you know, you don't mind if I call you Jean. Uh, your first name uh, I just want to say that you have on hell of a woman's show and if there's anything I can do to help your show along you just let me know uh, Charles W Bullard ex you know fantastic press agent write to him and he'll help me along now <laughs> I don't know what these things mean uh, I get I get at least three letters a day mark ms you know ms ms uh, so I, I suppose, I mean, it's, it's all part of the lack of... Uh, I, I, I think that the identification is one of the chief problems today. Everybody's looking for identity, you know, look for identity. It would be discouraging uh, if you really tried to find identity. What if you really found out who you were? You realize this could destroy you. I mean, you found out your true worth. You found out what you actually are. I'm serious. There's some things you don't want to know, friend, and uh, I mean, of course, we're getting theological here at this point, and uh, we don't uh, don't want to get too deeply into that. I I must say this, though, that many people identify themselves by the products that they buy. Uh, Have you noticed the ecstasy on the faces of those clods who watch those and are part of those uh, strange shows that go on all day long in television? You know, I bet a lot of people who have been watching Watergate uh, off and on have suddenly found themselves inadvertently seeing things like, and now here he is, big Charlie Brown, and his tremendous giveaway show, Hit the Ding Dong. And here's a bunch of goofy-looking people sitting up there screaming and yelling over a refrigerator. Uh, Have you seen any of those bits? Who the hell watches that stuff? I'm very. I'm asking a very serious question. Is there anybody out there who really seriously watches these game shows, day after day, week after week? Are you telling me, Joe, they do it all the time? And there are. And and those people are allowed to vote. Good God. <laughs> that that uh, I think one of the greatest. Uh, one of the greatest the criteria of our civilization is what passes for entertainment. It's fascinating. Uh, I think it says a lot more than what our so-called art is. You know, we, we tend to, to judge a civilization by its art, which I think is wrong. I really do. I mean, I, I, I've always felt this, that uh, we tend to judge, say, the Greeks by their architecture and the the elegant uh, style of uh, artistic development. And we tend to judge the uh, the Renaissance by the artists, what they turned out during that period. What I would like to see, I mean, you really learn a lot more about the Renaissance if you were able to attend a real bear baiting. I mean, you know, they bring in the bears, you know, and everybody's sitting there yelling and hollering, what do they do with a bear? Well, oh, they got about five great big tough dogs this is how bear baiting works. You realize how it works, don't you, Joe? Wouldn't you like to... Uh, but now that, that would really say it about these guys. You know, the yelling and howling right next door. You see, they're putting on Hamlet, and uh, <laughs> and, and the bears, oh, oh, and we're charging up. In fact, there are some accounts that are gleeful of accounts that are gleeful of the period when the bear actually got away and charged up and took care of about half the audience. Uh, which gave a fantastic double header that day to the guys that survived. I mean <laughs> that was tremendous. And, and, I, and I say that the, that the, the, real, the real life of the people of the time can never be judged by the art work. Now, can you imagine uh, say judging our time by say, the works of Henry Moore, the sculptor? Uh, can you imagine by reading by looking at Henry Moore, you know who he is, the, 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 the English sculptor. I think he's part of our time. Jacques Lipchitz, uh, Pablo Picasso. Can you imagine judging, say, uh, Archie Bunker by those guys? No way. I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, the art is what usually survives, you know, that because that stuff is kept in museums. They don't keep the uh, film of the uh, Grandma Demolition Derby in Islip, Long Island. Uh, in the museum, which should be kept. I mean, <laughs> this, uh, this, uh, this is closer to the real truth. Do uh, uh, you agree with that, Joe? It's closer to the real truth than any of the uh, so-called uh, uh, self-conscious art forms. And I, I would like to suggest here, this is a Shepherd's Shepard's suggestion of the month, I would like to suggest that, that we take some of our money. You know, the, the federal government has a cultural fund uh, which it uh, contributes to such uh, elegant establishments as Lincoln Center, uh, you know that gra- that great vast mausoleum of uh, affluence up there on uh, on uh, on Columbus Circle, and they build things like the John F. Kennedy Auditorium for the performing arts. Well, ah, you know this is this is a nice thing for Jackie Kennedy to go to, and it's a kind of a nice thing for gives gives Lenny Bernstein a job and all that, you know. But it doesn't have much to do with what, uh, you know, a lot of guys named Herbie and Aki are doing, uh, walking around out there, you know, places like Rabbit Hash, Kentucky, and, uh, you know, (laughs) culture centers such as uh, Secaucus. Uh, So what I would like to submit an idea for, so that we could preserve some of our real culture for later on, you know, for people who come, say, two or three hundred years from now, they would find it fascinating. Do you agree? Uh, do you agree that, that we would find if somehow magically back in the days of uh, the Renaissance, Shakespeare's day, uh, back in those days, if somehow magically somebody could have frozen a bear baiting session uh, in its full gore, right the way it was? Wouldn't you go? Wouldn't you pay a quarter or so to see that? Wouldn't you go see what they were really like in those days? All these guys, you know, these because you know there was a certain a look to the Renaissance man, according to some of the paintings, he had a certain wild-eyed look. If uh, <laughs> you've ever seen paintings of some of these guys who come out of say such uh, such painters as Hieronymus Bosch, he he, he liked to paint uh, people of uh, of that ilk uh, going to hell, of course, screaming every way. And uh, nevertheless, uh, it would be kind of exciting. In some way, if, if if we could spend enough money to preserve the average klutz, one average klutz, out of every given civilization, and keep him alive somehow, so that other civilizations could come and see him and, uh, you know, watch him do his thing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, actually, uh, I mean, of course, this is the kind of stuff you see in the wide, wide world of sports on ABC every week. Uh, you've seen those, you know, these... Uh, uh, the doom buggy races and all this kind of stuff, which of course add a great deal to the cultural achievements of our time, but uh, the the alligator wrestlers, I, I saw that it was a kind of an exciting one. But uh, I I think the probably the greatest slob uh, uh, display that I ever saw in my life, and I I wish I wish somebody had preserved it. It's not even remembered by most people. It was so immense. That people don't remember it. I have a theory that the larger the scene, the more immense the publicity, the quicker a thing is forgotten. I can't hardly remember a Super Bowl game. And there's an endless reams of publicity about those things beforehand. There's, you know, great, deathless uh, battles are about to be waged between quarterbacks. And three days later, I can't even know who the two teams were to played. You know, the whole nation watches and <laughs> can't remember it anymore after a while. Uh, it's quickly forgotten. And it's, and it's billed as a deathless battle. Now, I, I just wonder about that. Like the other day, I'm walking down the street and, on 8th Street, you know, they have all these art theaters along there. See, we're living in an age of total hyperbola. You uh, know, the, the adjective knows no bounds. If the word fantastic is used once, it's used a thousand times in your average ad. Everything is fantastic, from ketchup, you name it, cat food, it's all fantastic. Now, how, far, how much further can you go than fantastic as an adjective? Fantastic really says it's so unbelievably good that it is, it is a fantasy. You can't go much beyond that. But the word is used now with such uh, commonalities, used so common, commonly, That it has no meaning. So we are living in the age of hyperbole, particularly in the critical world. Uh, The the critical world is given to this. I I pick up practically every day some guy uh, reads off his uh, criticism of a new book in the Times. Some guy with five or six names, you know, Christopher Lehman Haupt Jr., something like that. They all have names like that. Anatole Parker, McGillicurly Boyard, great names. In fact, uh, (laughs) uh, I'll never forget a great line by uh, George Ade. He said that there are two kinds of people to beware of. Uh, Presbyterian ministers who use three names and literary critics who use three or more names. Uh, And so they're both in the same uh, bourgeois line, which reminds me, this is W O R New York. But uh, do you have a thing in there for me, Joe? Please hit the L button, please. Tonight, instead of the usual before dinner, how about a Dubonnet before dinner? The time before Dubonnet. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. Oh yeah, that was uh, elegant. Every time I hear the word Dubonnet, I always think of Charles Boyer. Sitting there, you know, in a scene with Carol Lombard, uh, and and between them they have one of these uh, they have one of these French ashtrays that says something on it. Uh, you know those ashtrays with names of stuff. <laughs> I don't know. You know. Now, by the way, friends, the, the people Don Cricky has been interviewing about Barclays Travelers Checks. And Incidentally, I use the word friends there with a slight touch of sardonic. Ironic wit. The people Don Crickey has been interviewing about Barclays. Has he been interviewing people about Barclays, Don Crickey? <laughs> Remember when he used to do those big things? Yeah. Now he's interviewing people about Barclays. Oh, well. Uh, what is a Barclay? Isn't a Barclay one of those small alligator bags? Comes with a brass lock on it. Well, can't you get the, the folding Barclay? Yeah. Well, anyway, he's been doing it. He says he's been interviewing about Barclay Traveler's Checks, and he says they have good reasons for buying them. For example, Barclay's is a bit more prestigious than other checks. Honey, the only prestigious check that I know of is one that has big numbers on it. But uh, I suppose... (laughs) Anyway, there's a great prestige connected with the presentation of a Barclay's Traveler's Check. It's spelled with a Q-U-E, friends. Most experienced travelers know that Barclays is accepted and respected the world over. And uh, let's see, here's some information you may not know. Things you were always curious about, but you never had enough get-up-and-go to find out. Barclays is the fourth biggest group of banks in the world, with $24 billion in assets. That's a lot of cabbage. $24 billion, and here they are advertising on our show. Barclays has over five... 1,000 branches in 56 countries, Uh, 50 in Israel, for example, 150 in the Caribbean. I wonder how many they got in Kuwait. They don't need checks over there in Kuwait. If you're one of those oil shakes, you don't need no checks. You just keep your money in great big barrels. That's all. You know, that's the way to go. Now that you know about Barclays Travelers' Checks, why don't you let them go with you this summer? And let's see, in New Jersey, Barclays Travelers Check are available free of charge to Travel Club members only at Cooperative Savings and Loan of Ridgewood. Okay, I'll keep these off to one side here, if I may, for a while here, if you if you don't mind. But you know, I I, I uh, must say though that. Uh, uh, that uh, I think we were on to a good thing there. I seriously think that in this age of hyperbola, uh, uh, this this age of the overblown adjective where everything is fantastic, nothing is fantastic. So ultimately, uh, hardly anybody remembers anything. We're, we're told to watch everything, this big thing that's going to happen and it comes on TV and uh, you watch it, the entire population is sitting at the edge of his seats waiting to see what's going to happen in the second quarter. And uh, after it's over, you can't remember it. Get up, you walk around, and uh, you have a, you know, you have a drink. By nightfall, it's all gone. The shards have fallen. And uh, just like one of the great events that uh, occurred in my time that I actually saw, I was there. And you know I can't get anybody to remember it? Life magazine. You remember Life magazine? It's amazing how quickly you forget that. Well, wait, there used to be a Life magazine. You don't remember that? Very good. Most people today have trouble remembering last Wednesday. Uh, very much trouble. Difficult. Very much. I, I, in fact, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm thinking of putting together an LP called Favorite Crises of Our Time. You know, like... Uh, uh, yeah, you, you forget these crises. Do you, uh, how many of you remember Sherman Adams? Remember old Sherman? Why well, he practically called the government. He caused the government to topple. He was the Watergate of his day. You don't even remember it. And, and everybody likes to think that Watergate will be remembered. Well, I'm going to guarantee you, in three years, Watergate will be a little tiny footnote, like all other crises of our time. Now, I'm not going to say I, I think this is the way it should be, I'm making no value judgment. I'm saying this is the way it will be. Uh, very few people. Do you remember when everybody sat around by the millions and watched uh, the Crime Commission hearings on television? Who was the senator that became famous over that one? Yeah. That's right. Remember Keith Auber in his cornskin cap? See, Apparently, these giant TV spectaculars always vault a senator uh, on the committee, whatever the committee is, into a presidential candidacy. Already, they're talking about Baker for some reason because he asks such cute questions. I <laughs> will well, well, tell you, there's a touch of madness to the Americans, it's just, and I'm one of them. So I, 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 can, I can, you know, I, I got the, uh, I'm qualified to talk about it. The madness in our times. Like, like uh, I read a review on Norman Mailer's book, the one about uh, Marilyn Monroe, and he admits tacitly somewhere along the line he never met her. However, she once lived five miles from him, and so naturally he felt the vibrations. And (laughs) I mean, what amazes me about our time is that we could take stuff like that seriously and give it the front page of the New York Times book review section. You know that. That is, to my way of thinking, that is, is ultimate hyperbole. That's the ultimate rip. But, uh, you know, that's a part of our time. And uh, it, uh, it has to be accepted. But now I think this is what makes our time so so uh, curiously uh, hallucinogenic. Uh, who are these people that take stuff like Merrill and Monroe, written by Norman Mailer, seriously? Who are these people? Now I'm just asking a uh, question. Uh, rhetorical question. Who are they? Are are you one of them? Do you? Are you, Jerry, one of them? Are you, Joe? (laughs) Joe never heard about it. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, who are they? I mean, I'm just wondering who they are. Who cares what Gay Talese says about sex? I mean, who are the people who care about these things? I'm just curious who they are. Uh, and, and, and I, I just wonder whether there's just nobody that cares well, you know all part of that whole enormous very subtle business we have today called publicity. Uh, and, and I've often felt that the things that people really care about are rarely mentioned. In other words, uh, something that is so universal that it's that everybody does secretly care about it, it's never mentioned. Like the other day, for example, I, I did a uh, I did a show just out of the you know out of the blue. I did a, a show on ice cream. Well, it turns out I got a whole raft of letters on that. Apparently, people are really concerned about ice cream. But the, the, the times rarely mentions ice cream, <laughs> you know, I mean, not that not that ice cream is that important. It isn't. But then again, is a book by Norman Mailer about Marilyn Monroe that important? Question is. Uh, you, it's... Especially, you never met, and by the way, I must say that I did meet Marilyn Monroe, and I talked to her at great length on, on more than several occasions in various, and, and uh, both, uh, I suppose you might say, semi-social and also uh, professional terms. And uh, it never occurred to me <laughs> to, to, uh, to, you know, to, to pretend to uh, intimacy. And yet, uh, that doesn't bother people. I mean, you just write this giant book about what you thought during Marilyn Monroe Pictures. That in itself is a, is a big issue. Of course, you, you have to have a certain kind of ego to believe that everything you think is of earth-shaking importance, and maybe more important than the subject itself. That's, uh, that's part of it. But I'm going to ask you a question. What In, in, uh, in 19, just a few years ago, what was one of the biggest events held in New York. I'll give you a clue. It was held in Madison Square Garden. It was one of the most publicized events of the time, and nobody today, hardly a man alive, remembers it. And, and the entire garden was packed filled with as many people could get in there. And the, the whole, one of the biggest topics during the period that this was going on was to get an invitation to that thing which incidentally you paid for you did not get this that's what made it fascinating 18,000 people and they charged $20 per seat to get in and what was it? well it was Mike Todd's birthday party now uh, I think that was a very significant thing of our time it was the first giant non-event uh <laughs> Now, what is a non-event? Well, a non-event is something that seems to be important merely because a lot of people write about it. It's a non-event. Now, an event is something that is an event. And uh, it just happens. Like, for example, the sinking of the Anguidoria was an event. Okay? Uh, there it is. It's laying on the bottom of the ocean. You can point right to it and you say, that's where it went down and it happened. Uh, Watergate is an event. It it genuinely is. But a non-event is a a classical non-event. There are many kinds of non-events. There's the non-event that relates to, uh, say, a a thing like uh, Mike Todd's birthday party, which, if you don't remember it, uh, was an unbelievable situation. I'll never forget the site. We broadcast it, you know. I did the play-by-play, and it's the only radio broadcast I mean, it was really a spectacular broadcast, and you'll never guess who worked with it on me. John Gambling. The two of us, laughing like hell. That that was one of of the few nights that John's basic, sardonic wit came out, and it did. And we were up in the press box, where they usually broadcast hockey games, and uh, we were sitting up there, and you had to wear tuxedos and the whole bit, watching the waiters run up and down in the balcony selling people champagne, which was supposed to be given to the people who came to the party. <laughs> At $10 a bottle, and they were selling this $2 champagne, which Mike Todd got free, and each one had a big thing on the side that says, Courtesy of the International Fake newton Northern State Champagne Company. And then they wheeled out the food, and there was big, big cards that said, Courtesy of Nathan's. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding you, and, and nobody got anything. And I remember one great scene that sticks in my mind of Elizabeth Taylor looking looking like a Hebrew national salami. She was really bulging. I'll tell you, it was like she had been injected into this purple dress, and the purple was at least three sizes smaller than she was, and she was just bulging out all over the place, climbing up on a ladder. Now get this scene if you want to see a a, a Romanesque uh, a a totally barbaric uh, picture of our time. They had, right in the middle of the arena, Madison Square Garden, this is the old garden, and it had a great big floor. If you ever saw the garden, it had stands all the way around it, you know, an upper deck and triple deck, and at decks that went all the way up into the sky. I mean, you, know, you, could, you could buy a seat so high you couldn't even see the ground from up there, you know. See, this was all an ostensible celebration for the birthday of Mike Todd, uh, a, a producer of, of um, astounding turkeys of various types. Uh, you know, so, nevertheless, right in the middle of the floor, and everybody came to it, I don't know why, and it was, it was a whole big deal to try to get invited. So, right in the middle of the floor, right smack in the middle, was his birthday cake. It was it was billed as the world's largest birthday cake, the greatest birthday cake ever made. The the greatest, largest, most fantastic birthday cake that the world has ever seen. And I wouldn't doubt it. That birthday cake was about, I would guess, uh, offhand, I would say about two stories high. I'm really ki- I'm not I'm not kidding you, about twenty five feet high. Now, it was about in circumference, it was probably thirty feet around. And it was in two giant, maybe two or three giant tiers. It went up like it was tiered, see? And uh, it had decoration all over, Happy Birthday, Mike, and all that stuff, and enormous uh, icing letters. But the, the first thing that hit me was the color of it. Now, it's a birthday cake. Now, what, you, you, I say birthday cake, and you think in terms of white icing and uh, pink icing, this was the most bilious-looking birthday cake. It was, it was obscene. It was purple. Yes, it was purple, and what it looked like was was lukewarm, watered, diluted, purple grape Kool-Aid. Now, that's not so good-looking for starters, but this was really an obscene cake, and here it was standing in the middle of the floor. Well, now, <laughs> there were a lot of things I keep keep uh, bringing back from that fantastic scene. I don't know why i tell you this, except that I want to remind people of the kind of stuff that goes on now i saw this and, and uh, many of you remember it but not many of you actually were there and saw it happen and there's no way to describe what it was like at one end of the at one end of the arena was for some strange reason the boston pops orchestra with arthur fiedler he was conducting and they were playing stuff like uh uh the theme from around the world in 80 days and he's playing it away there see And this this is echoing throughout this enormous uh, arena. You can't hear a damn thing. Off on the left here, on the other side, for some strange reason, while the music is playing, Hubert Humphrey, Senator Hubert Humphrey, is giving a totally fatuous speech, somehow connecting, (laughs) he's never lived that one down, somehow connecting Mike Todd and around the world in 80 days with uh, global politics. And we were entering a new era of good feeling and beauty and truth. And it was all going to come about through show business and Mike Todd and around the world. And he's up there, and I say to you, as the senator from Minnesota, and all the while this orchestra's playing. You can't hear a damn thing. It's just a giant uproar. But the great sight of the, of the thing is Elizabeth Taylor, who at the time was married to this Todd, uh, climbing up a ladder to get to the top of the cake. Now, picture the scene now. Elizabeth Taylor in a in a dress at least 15 to 20 sizes too small for her, and a long one. It went right down to her feet, see? And, and I'll tell you, she was coming out, she was coming out of the top of that dress. Oh, it was fantastic. It, it, it looked like a cornucopia that was spewing out cantaloupes. <laughs> I mean, here was that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. Here she was, see, and, and, and she's climbing up this ladder uh, to, to get to the top of a purple cake, and the crowd is is, is is cheering, see, and they they wheeled out a great big, uh, great big cart being towed by two donkeys that was covered with hot dogs. It had a big sign that said, there, "Courtesy of Nathan's," that Boston Pops was playing. Hubert Humphrey was giving a speech. And over, over across the way there, I could see uh, a Ginger Rogers, of all things, holding court. <laughs> a lot of photographers were down there. And, and the waiters were running up and down, selling the champagne. People were getting mad. And suddenly, without any warning, about 14 guys wearing black leather jackets broke into the side doorway, which was over by 8th Avenue, ran in and started to steal the door prizes right off the floor. They're running out with them. No, yeah, the guy grabs the outboard motor and he's running out before 20,000 people. Probably the greatest uh, public rip-off in history. At that point, Hubert Humphrey's up there saying, and I see before us a period of unparalleled peace and prosperity and international. And he's going on, and this guy runs right by him, carrying the motor. (laughs) And Humphrey doesn't even see it, he's up there in the orchestra. And with that, suddenly, the crowd has had enough of it. See, they've seen this this uh, Grecian scene. Sir Cedric Hardwick has fallen off an elephant. His glasses got busted, stepped on by an elephant, and he, he's carried kicking and fighting out of the auditorium. I don't know what he was doing on an elephant. At that point, five dogs ran out and chased the horse around. He got mad and ran up to the stand, right up into the stands. Well, the people, yeah, the people are getting bugged, and they started to come charging down when the cake is up there. They wanted some of the cake. They had gotten no champagne, they paid $20, they were supposed to get food, they got nothing. And so they all charged down, and at that point, Elizabeth Taylor is now at the top of the ladder. On this, you know, two-foot-high, or rather two-story-high cake, she's up on a ladder, just a little ladder went down. She's got a tremendous knife that was about 30 feet long, it looked like, and she just takes the knife and goes, sticks it into the cake like she's stabbing a dinosaur. She's so <laughs> like, Now, on cue, the Boston Pops was supposed to play an enormous Gregorian chant or something because they started to play the trumpets. And she goes, with the the knife again. I thought, my God, this is right out of room. Well, the crowd is surging around, see, and they're wearing wearing tuxedos and all, you know, it's all full dress. Well, obviously, they were not going to get pieces of this cake, see, so the crowd, like the mom always does, took matters in its own hand. They charge the cake, and they're tearing off pieces of it. <laughs> These are all people from society. They've got big chunks of purple cake, and they're eating it. At that point, Elizabeth Taylor sees what's going on, and she joins right in with it. She lops off a big chunk of cake and throws it out into the audience, and they go, ah, they cheer. <laughs> She's throwing cakes out into the audience. The people are cheering and howling. I thought, oh, my God, I'll never see another thing like this in my whole life. Elizabeth Taylor up there, chopping up cake and throwing purple cake down. Then another unforgettable scene. The most elegant man uh, that I've known in years is Ben Grauer. Ben Grauer, for some strange reason, wandered past me with a gigantic balloon. And the balloon said, I eat hot dogs at Nathan's. And he's got a balloon. And. (laughs) No, Don't ask me why he had a balloon that says I eat hot dogs at Nathan's. I'm sure Ben Grower does not. But nevertheless, he walked past me with a dazed look on his eye and a big piece of cake hit him right between the shoulder blades. It goes. He's white. He turns around. A oh, great scruff. You know, he's an elegant man. And as he turns around, a lot of a lot of plastic toys, which Ben—I don't know why—he was picking these up. They, were, they had all kinds of little souvenirs, like uh, souvenir of Avis and that. They were giving away. And plastic toys start falling out of his tuxedo. And I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, we are present at a at a at a Grecian, a Roman orgy, the likes of which that they have not seen since the Till of the Hun." Packed it in and gave it up, and began to develop arthritis. This is fantastic. Elizabeth Taylor is now throwing a giant chunk of. Cake at the at the Ginger Rogers. Beautiful. Look at that left hand. And you hear this crashing cake. Oh, what a scene! And so we are now, you know, we are now living in in in, in, in days when that kind of an event is given great publicity. I am reminded of it when I when I see uh, reviews of Maryland, I don't know what the connection is, but it seems to me very closely related. Only this time it's Norman Mailer up on top of the uh, ladder. See, throwing great big purple chunks of gooey, squishy cake in the direction of the New York Times book reviewer. Would you please hit the button there, please? Oh, we have a live one, yes. A live one. Now, here's a message for you if you suffer from the city apartment blues. What the heck is this? This is very interesting. Uh, Congestion pollution being awakened by police sirens or grinding garbage trucks. I prefer garbage. Uh, I think Jonathan Winters has brought a little elegance to our time. We in garbage. Uh, How would you like to have your own special place to escape to on weekends and vacations where the only night sounds are the rustle of leaves and a gentle breeze? All right. If you love fishing, Times Square, boating, it's just 105 miles from Times Square, and its name is The Hideout. The Hideout. Okay. Uh, well, what better, what better uh, spot to have on the air, you know, during a day, during days of truly uh, gargantuan, or aug, almost Augustinian debaucheries, than a spot for uh, cocktail mixes? Holland House cocktail mixes are available at food stores anywhere. I mean, uh, there are over thirty Holland House dry mixes and liquids to choose from. I mean, uh, there are over thirty Holland House dry mixes and liquids to choose from. Let's see, with Holland House cocktail mixes, every drink, every time, will taste as good as if you'd made it from scratch. Uh, I will not even follow up the obvious uh, pun there. Holland House has been making great mixes for over a hundred years. you trying to think of it as well? I, see, my, I I have a literal mind. I keep thinking of somebody trying to make a drink out of scratch. In my terms, scratch means money. And I can see this guy marinating $10 bills. I mean, you know, it's just... Sorry. Holland House dry mixes are individually triple sealed in foil, so you can always be sure of lasting freshness. Yes, sir. uh, They taste naturally fresh, Holland House cocktail mixes, because they started with fresh, natural ingredients. And that's what they do, Holland House. It makes it easy. All you do is add ice and your favorite beverage. Holland House lets you spend more time enjoying a great drink and a lot less time making it. Available at your neighborhood associated food store there it was nice but the, the non-event is, is one of our major uh, products of our time and I say these things should be preserved now that was the original premise of the show tonight right I would like to see Mike Todd's birthday party sealed in plastic you know the way they seal stuff in, in stores where you're going to keep you from stealing the stuff you know they put a little plastic just seal it you know an airproof plastic just pour it over there catch uh, Ben Grower in mid-stride standing there with his balloon that says, I eat hot dogs at Nathan's. Uh, that would have been a, a tremendous uh, exhibit for people two or three hundred years from now who want to see what our life is like. What are some of the things that you would like to have seen in your day? I mean, out of, out of the past, would you like to attend? Would you like to attend, say, the usual doubleheader Sunday card at the Coliseum during the great days of Caligula? <laughs> that would have been an exciting event, wouldn't it? <laughs> you might have attended it, friend, as uh, one of the participants. But nevertheless, uh, would you? Wouldn't you like? would you like to attend? I, there are a lot of things I would like to attend. I would like to have attended the uh, the, the Roman Senate during the days of Caligula. It has obvious uh, connotations today too. You know, Caligula was famous for having a horse elected to the Senate. Uh, There are other things. Wouldn't you like to have attended uh, the actual embarkation of uh, Columbus's boats, you know, the Santa Maria? I mean, can you imagine these guys leaving? And uh, the boredom of the local guys hanging around the, the, the docks. Yeah, well, you know how workers are. They, they, nobody gets excited. <laughs> and and, uh, and I, I, I'd like to have been in the next field, two fields removed from the place where they signed the Magna Carta and talked to one of the serfs. You know, why don't you go and watch those guys sign that thing? Ah, those barons are always doing that stuff. I mean, uh, you, why waste your time with the barons? You know? <laughs> and uh, I, there are several events that I would like to have... Uh, Attended not necessarily great historical events. Uh, I would like to, uh, you know, for example, I would like to see uh, a scene. I would like to walk into Benjamin Franklin's printing house, and uh, you know, we'll just walk in there and order some uh, QSL cards. You know, walk in, and order, uh, you know, from from uh, from Ben. Uh, see what kind of a guy he was, you know, under those circumstances. See, uh, it would the. It would, uh, well, I would like to come to the front door of Monticello. You know, knock on the door and say, is, uh, is George in? And uh, isn't that where George lived? No, I didn't think so. That was Thomas Jefferson, right? Uh, where did George live? Mount Vernon? Hi, that's what I thought, see. Uh, and, and knocking, says, is George there? And the lady says, no, he's not in yet. So well, uh, tell him I was around. Uh, tell him uh, I was here, the cigar salesman. And, uh, you know, George smoked cigars. Did you know that? And uh, I, I would like to have been the cigar salesman who went and uh, got an order from George Washington. I just saw him under completely those circumstances. Uh, I would like to be the guy that came in and, uh, you know, was the shoe salesman that sold uh, that sold Abe Lincoln, his gaiters. You know, sat there and said, you know, you're very hard to fit, Mr. Lincoln. You know, size 23, uh quadruple A. That's not an easy size to fit. However, if they reach us down into his thing, and uh, see him under those conditions. You know? Uh, see, I would like to have been the orderly uh, in General Grant's tent when some very elegant general came in and tried to convince him that tonight before dinner he ought to have a uh, an elegant mixed drink like a Manhattan instead of drinking it out of the barrel with a ladle the way he drank it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> these are all the little bits of history uh, but of course in our time the, one of the most uh, interesting uh, events that I would like to have seen is the, is, the, is the inner circle discussion between the editors of the New York Times book review section when they decided to put on the front page a Norman Mailer's uh, whatever it is <laughs> non-event <laughs> I get hear and say, well, it's gonna be a big seller. After all, we gotta get out it, George. So we said, well, yeah, maybe get a piece of that. You know, after all, I'll bring out my memoirs next year, and I So bring up their large for friends. These are difficult times for a man of sense.